Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Mildred at Roselands, Episode Twenty Four. Mr. Dinsmore was, in the main, a kind-hearted man, therefore felt a good deal uncomfortable in prospect of the grief likely to be manifested by the four or five hundred workers on the plantation, and particularly the house servants, when called upon to part with little Elsie. Both Mrs. Murray and Mildred had spoken to him of their strong attachment to the child, and his own observation had told him the same thing. He knew that they almost idolized her, and would feel her removal as a heavy blow. Desirous to lighten the stroke, he determined to allow Elsie to make a farewell present to each, and engaged Mildred and Mrs. Murray to assist her in preparing a list of suitable articles to be sent for. The child, knowing nothing of her grandfather's reasons for permitting this unusual outlay, was highly delighted. It was Mr. Dinsmore's will that his plans with regard to Elsie should be kept secret from her and the servants until near the end of his visit, still some weeks distant. Those weeks flew fast to Mildred, spent in a round of innocent, restful enjoyments, marred only by the knowledge that they must be so fleeting. The day set for the departure from Viamede was drawing near, when the sight of some of the needful preparations revealed the truth to the house servants, and from them the sad tidings quickly spread to the field hands, causing great grief and consternation. Elsie was perhaps the last to learn the truth. She was running through the lower hall one morning, soon after breakfast, when Aunt Phyllis suddenly caught her in her arms, and holding her tight, covered the little fair face with kisses and tears. "'Why, Aunt Phyllis, what's the matter?' asked the child, winding her small arms so plump and white about the woman's neck. "'What makes you cry? Is you sick?' "'Oh, honey, darling,' sobbed the disconsolate Aunt Phyllis, it's heap, wasn't and that. Day's going to carry you way, breast darling pet, way off north, where Aunt Phyllis won't never see your sweet face no more. Oh dear, oh dear. No, no, cried the child, struggling to release herself. Elsie not going way, Aunt Phyllis. Where's Mammy? I want Mammy. Aunt Chloe came to Ethical, and Elsie ran to her arms, crying in a frightened way, Mammy, Mammy, is they going to take me away? Mammy, don't let them. Darling, your old Mammy never leave you, Aunt Chloe said soothingly, evading the question she could not answer as she wished. Elsie doesn't want to go away, sobbed the child. This is Elsie's home. This is Elsie's house. Elsie wants to stay here with Aunt Phyllis and all Elsie's people. Oh, Mammy, Mammy, does Elsie have to go? Don't cry, honey. Don't, darling pet. You won't have to go away from Mammy. Mammy will go along, too, was all Aunt Chloe could say. The house servants were crowding around them, all weeping and wailing, and the little girl seemed quite inconsolable. Mildred heard and came to the rescue. Darling child, she said, kneeling on the carpet by Elsie's side and softly stroking the beautiful hair, you are going to your papa's home, and perhaps you will see him there before long, and I think you will come back to Viamede some day. 
At that, the little head was lifted, and a smile broke like a sunbeam through the rain of tears. Papa, she exclaimed, will Elsie see her dear Papa dare? Then I won't cry any more, and she wiped away her tears. Don't cry, Aunt Phyllis and Aunt Sally, and the rest of you. My Papa will bring me back again. That be a long time off, muttered Aunt Phyllis, shaking her head as she moved slowly away. Roselands, your grandpa's and papa's home is a very parental. Still caressing the shining curls, and there are little boys and girls there that Elsie can play with. Brothers and sisters for me, asked the little one joyously. Your papa's brothers and sisters, nice playfellows for you, Mildred answered. There is Edna, who is just a baby girl, only two years old. Ice four, ice big girl, put in the chat. Yes, and water's past three, nearly as old as you. And what nice plays you can have together. Yes, I want to take him a present, and one for the baby. And what's dear names? The other children. Mildred went over the list, and the baby girl repeated her wish to take a gift to each. We will ask your grandpa about it, Mildred said. Has they died a mama? was the next query. And that being answered in the affirmative, the wish was expressed that she too should be remembered with a pretty present, and that Cousin Millie would ask Grandpa's permission for all these purchases. Mildred took an early opportunity to do so. Who has put that nonsense into the child's head? he asked in some vexation. No one, Uncle. It was entirely her own idea, perhaps suggested by the thought of her proposed gifts to those she leaves behind. Very likely, but let her forget it. I do not want to encourage your spending money upon my family. But her heart is very full of it, Uncle, and I really think it would help to reconcile her to leaving Viamede. I'm afraid, Uncle, that is going to be a hard trial for the little one, for she dearly loves her home and her people, as she calls them. She will soon forget it all, and perhaps like Roselands quite as well. Childish griefs are not lasting, but terribly hard while they do last, Uncle. I'm not so old as yet, uh, old yet as to have forgotten that. No, he said with a smile, followed by a sigh. Ah, well, I'm sorry for the little thing, but don't see how it can be helped. But you will lessen the trial by humoring her in this and everything else that is reasonable persisted Mildred in her most persuasive tone. Well, well, if I must, I must, I suppose. What an ad excellent advocate you are, but really I feel shame to allow it. Ah, oh, Uncle, it's your turn now, said Mildred, laughing. I had mine in Philadelphia. But isn't Elsie rich enough to be allowed to spend such an amount on her own gratification? Humph, what amount, pray? Oh, I have you there, he added, looking at her perplexed look. Not so fast, Uncle, she returned, brightening. I can be definite. May she spend two hundred dollars for this? No. One hundred and fifty, then? Hmm, I don't know. We'll see about it when we get to New Orleans. Then I may tell her that she is to be allowed to buy presents for them? Yes. Now don't make me commit myself any further. After this, Mildred talked a great deal to the little girl about the children at Roselands, the games and romps she would have with them, what she should be bought for them, and how pleased they would be with her gifts. Also of all she was likely to see on her journey that would be new and interesting. How nice it was that Mrs. Murray and Mammy were to go with her, Grandpa too, and Cousin Millie, that the dear Savior and her own sweet pretty mama would be just as near her there in her new home as at Viamede.
It was thus she tried to tide the darling over the trial that awaited her in the sundering of the tender ties that bound her to the home of her early infancy. Those were April days with the baby girl from the time of Aunt Phyllis, unfortunate revelation of what awaited her until the blow fell. They were to leave in the morning, though not at a very early hour, and at Elsie's request the field hands were excused from work for the half-day and directed to come up to the house soon after the family breakfast to say good-bye to their little mistress. They gathered in a crowd in the rear of the mansion, the family party, Mr. Dinsmore, Mildred, Elsie, and Mrs. Murray, were assembled upon the back veranda, where stood a table piled with the goods to be distributed. The little girl sat beside it on her mammy's lap. Mildred and Mrs. Murray near at hand to give their assistance. The overseer, standing on the topmost step, called the row, and each coming forward in answer to his name received a gift presented by the child herself, and was allowed to kiss the small white hand that bestowed it. This was esteemed a great privilege, and many held the hand a moment, dropping tears as well as kisses upon it, and heaping blessings on the head of the little fair one, pouring out their lamentations also over her approaching departure, till at length her tears fell so fast that her grandfather interfered, forbidding any further allusion to that subject, on pain of having to receive their gifts from some other hand. No one was neglected, no one had been forgotten, but each from Octogenuran, no longer able or expected to work, down to the babe of a few days, received a gift of substantial worth to him or her, after which came a liberal distribution of pies, cakes, candies, and fruits. The baby girl dried her tears and even laughed right merrily more than once as she watched them at their feast, but her grief burst forth afresh, and with redoubled violence, when the time came for the final parting, and the house servants gathered weeping about her. She embraced them in turn, again and again, clinging about their necks, crying, Oh, Elsie can't go away and leave you. Elsie must stay with you. Elsie loves you. Elsie loves her own dear home and can't go away while they strained the little form to their hearts with bitter wailing and lamentation. To Mildred the scene was heart-rending, and her tears fell fast. Mrs. Murray was scarcely less moved. Aunt Chloe was sobbing, and tell-tale moisture stood in Mr. Dinsmore's eyes. "'Come, come,' he said at length, speaking somewhat gruffly, to hide his emotion. "'We have had enough of this. There is no use in fretting over what cannot be helped.' Elsie's father will be bringing her back one of these days to dry your eyes. Aunt Phyllis and all of you, the boat is waiting, the captain wanting to be off. Are you quite ready, ladies? Receiving the an answer in the affirmative, then let us go on board at once, he said, and would have taken his little granddaughter in his arms, but Aunt Phyllis begged the privilege of carrying her to the pier. Then with one last long, clean embrace, she resigned her to her nurse. Dear honey, darling, dry your eyes and don't cry no more. Wipe the tears away so you can see your home while we's going. Long past the orchard and fields, Aunt Chloe said, standing on the deck and lifting the child high in her arms. And look, pet, there's all the people standing along the shore to see the boat move off. And that's the way they'll stand and watch it when you and old mammy comes back. Yes, there they were, gathered in a crowd close to the water's edge, weeping and wailing, and Phyllis in the foreground wringing her hands and with the big tears rolling fast down her cheeks. The child saw and stretched out her arms to 
her with a cry of mingled love and distress. Then, as the boat swept onward, turned and buried her face in her mammy's bosom. Mildred saw it all through eyes dimmed with tears. Don't cry, darling, she whispered to Elsie. Think about the time when you dear, your dear papa will bring you back. Now lift up your head and look again at your beautiful home. Will my own papa bring Elsie back and live here with me? Asked the little one, lifting her head as she was bidden and smiling through her tears as she gazed out over the lovely landscape. I hope so, Mildred said, and you mustn't forget what a nice time we're going to have in New Orleans, buying the pretty things for the children at Roselands. That was a wise suggestion, very helpful in cheering the sorrowful baby heart, and the discussion of the momentous and interesting questions, what those gifts should be, and in what sort of places they would be found. She presently grew quite cheerful and animated. A wonderful new world opened upon the baby's eyes as they neared the city. She was filled with eager curiosity and delight, manifested in ways so entertaining and winsome, and by questions showing so much native wit that her grandfather's heart warmed toward her. Then when it, wherever they went, he found her attracting so much attention by reason of her beauty, sweetness, and intelligence that he grew proud of her in spite of himself. Thank you for listening to another episode of Baker Soft Story Classic.